welcome to semester three, episode four of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of mission give expert insight into the complex higher ed landscape. I'm Christine, a former assistant director of admissions at Yale and Georgetown University. And join me today are my friends and colleagues, Lorenza and Nikki, our executive functioning coaches at Ivy Wise and specialize in helping students build their organizational and study skills to help them maximize their academic performance and potential. In this episode, we are going to discuss how students can set themselves up for success this back to school season. So welcome, Nikki and Lorenza. I'm going to kick us off um, just speaking from my personal experience as a mom. I have a second grader. I have a fifth grader. I have a seventh grader. And I'm sure many of our listeners also have um, students in different age groups, including high school. So I'd love to just kick off this conversation by asking you two, um, our executive functioning experts, how would you want to help students and parents uh, to build up a successful back to school season? Um, Lorenza, do you want to just kind of share some initial thoughts from your experience? Yes, I would love to. I'm also a mother. I have um, a senior, well, I, I'm a freshman in college, actually. He just started um, in college. Um, and I also have an um, freshman in high school. So, um, so I think the the most important thing is to first try to focus on what executive functioning is and how to strengthen the executive functioning of students. But before we go into that, like what is exactly executive functioning? And the way that I understand executive functioning is the management system of the brain. So it's the group of skills that let us really like set goals, plan ahead, and complete tasks. Um, these skills is really important to develop them because they're not only crucial to succeeding in school, but they're really important in everyday life. Um, they're the kind of skills that allow us to pay attention, to regulate our emotions, to self-monitor, and to understand other people's points of view. So another way that I think to think about executive functioning is as asking myself, how can I do, how can I go about doing what I have decided to do? So, um, so that's the main question that can be um, really answered by having good executive functioning skills. And executive functioning really has many dimensions and encompasses many, many abilities, including working memory, the ability to pay attention, how to regulate your emotions, how to be flexible, how to plan, impulse control, self-control, um, how to self-monitor, and how to initiate. Um, I really think that executive functioning skills, coaching, and also study skills is, um, I, I like to use the analogy of a cross-country runner. So the these skills and the study skills are really what sets up as an athlete to be successful in the season. So this really provides the, the it's it's similar to the stretching, the strengthening, and the cardio work that an athlete needs to do before they can go on to to run when the season starts. So all these all these skills are one of the most important things that a student can develop and that will make them successful for for the school year and and for life in general. Yeah, and I think it's not just, um, you know, sometimes executive functioning, it's such a, um, a big term. Um, so parents and students may think, well, you know, it may not apply to me because I'm fairly organized or I manage my time fairly well. But I've, I feel like it's for everyone, for all of us um, to practice these really essential skills. Um, Nikki, what are your thoughts on just kind of these skills that are really essential for, for all of um, us parents and students to, to develop and practice as we get back into school this season. Yeah, it is such an all-encompassing term. And I love that analogy of the cross-country runner, because similarly, when you first start practicing these skills, it's really hard. And I don't know if anyone has ever tried to take up running after not doing it for a while. It's really challenging at first. 
And as you do it, it gets easier and easier. And I think it's the same with working on these executive functioning skills. And there's always room for growth. And it is so helpful for paying attention in class, getting work done, and also building positive relationships with peers, doing well on teams. And that's a skill that's going to last throughout your whole life and in anything that you do. So I think it's really great that parents work on it and that students get started early to set them up for success. What are some like, um, as I think about my own children too, <laughs> this morning, getting them out of the door was a challenge last night, getting them, um, you know, students are busy. And I know that it's it's welcomed in a good way that activities are back um, after being offline for more than a year. Um, so students are getting busier. Um, so how do you, what are some um, really, for, from your perspective, some foundational things, tips, um, skills that students and parents can work on um, in the evening, getting ready for school, um, setting up the week right? What are some practical things that you can think of um, that would be helpful for families, whether you have a high schooler or middle schooler or an elementary school student? Um, I would like to jump in on that. I think the most important thing that parents can really do um, to help their child develop better executive functioning skills is to really try not to be their frontal lobe. So what you need to do as a parent is to strengthen the frontal lobe of your child and your student, but not to be their frontal lobe. So instead of really giving me giving them directions, um, I think it's much better if you try to approach the situation by asking questions so that they can come up with the answers on their own. So I would instruct them as that so that they have to come up with their own plan and you as parent are preventing um, the case that you become their their frontal lobe for them. So some of the questions that you can ask is, um, for example, like when they when they come at the come back from school at the end of the day, you can say like, okay, so what what is your work for the day? How are you going to approach homework today? Um, how would you approach this particular homework? What do you feel like you need to do first? Um, how would you rank the homework that you have? Like what's more important? What's less important? What options do you have? What resources are available to you? Um, you can also include time for self-reflection by, by, by asking them, you know, how are you planning your workout? Do you need to plan differently next time? Um, did your plan work? What was it in your plan that really worked and what didn't work? And how can you count, how can you calm yourself and get back on track? And what can you do differently next time? So I, I would approach it as a parent. I would approach this by really asking questions instead of telling um, the student what to do and, and make them feel like they came up with their own plan and that they have ownership over their plan. That's good. Ownership over the plan is really important. And in terms of just a practical thing and helping get out for school in the morning and getting work done is really thinking critically and realistically about how long each activity or assignment takes. Um, I know for some people in the morning, as they brush their teeth, they start going on TikTok and Instagram and suddenly a three minute activity is 20 minutes and then you're late to school. So just being realistic about how long things should take you, how long they can take you and planning around that is really helpful. Any specific advice for high school students too? Um, I know that we're, um, and our listeners could be parents and students. And um, I sense that as, even as I'm working with high school students, that their lives are getting busier because we've come out of this um, pandemic mode in a little bit. We were just talking about how um, students are going back to school in person and it's different than the last year and a half when they were online. So any specific sort of skills that you think are particularly important coming from the executive 
executive functioning kind of realm for high school students. Um, and I, again, I was struck by a comment made by an administrator the other day that um, really only our seniors, 12th graders who've um, experienced quote unquote, a real um, high school year, they were ninth graders and they had that full year. And then they were sophomores when the pandemic um, happened and in the spring. So um, most of our high school students don't really have that full year experience where they have activities, where they have homework, um, they have different classes to go to. So from that perspective, any specific sort of advice um, or skills that you think are important for high schoolers um, in particular this fall? Um, I think for high school in particular, it's uh, it's four years where you really have to combine very strong academic academics, um, sports, extracurriculars, and then independent projects or community service or other activities. Um, uh, Coursera courses that you may be auditing, books that you may be reading, um, initiatives that you want to take um, in a specific field, like um, you know competing in a science competition, et cetera. So I think. It's really, really critical for high schoolers to have a really good plan for the for the year and for the quarter and for the week and the day. So I would I would plan with them um, with a Google calendar and with other tools that that I work with students to really plan out going from the long term to the short term. So when when I work with students, we really first talk about the long term vision of what they want for each particular class and what grade they think they want to get in each class. Then we plan the quarter and make sure that we create a Google calendar with the test dates um, that actually come from the syllabus that the that the teachers distribute. And sometimes they tell them way in advance when the tests are going to be. Um, and so then we plan out each week and students should really set aside for an hour, like an hour or so before the beginning of each week to plan the coming week. I like to help them visualize their workload by creating a weekly calendar where they can see what they have to do each day for each course, including all that hidden homework that um, that a lot of students ignore because it's not something that's not due the next day, but it's due in a couple of days. But it's very critical that they do a piece of it so that it doesn't get overwhelming by the end. Um, so with the help of this calendar, they can really plan the work ahead and meet all their deadlines and not fall behind in longer projects. Um, I also feel like for high school students, uh, I like to create a chart for them with all their extracurricular activities and projects that they have that they have um, aside from schoolwork. And they can see that each of the extracurricular activities, what is the status of each one of them, what needs to happen next in order to bring this activity um, to fruition, for example, if it's a community service project, and then when this next step is going to be taken so that they can put that into their Google Calendar. And that way they can coordinate their Google Calendar with this chart. That way they can really look at the chart and hold themselves accountable for these dates. And that can be part of the Google Calendar and they can set alarms to remind themselves of what they need to do. And I think just being very organized and, and having this, these kinds of charts and, and calendars is the only way for a high school student to be able to manage everything that they need to do, because it's a lot. And if you don't have a good organizational system, it can get easily overwhelming. Absolutely. And that organization and that scheduling really allows brain space to be open, to pay attention to what's going on in class. It's much harder to focus on history class when you're thinking, oh no, did I do my assignment for next period? Is it due tomorrow or today? I also think going into the year, just even before planning out the scheduling, it's really important to do an honest self-assessment, figure out what am I worried about about transitioning back to school? What's been working for me really well with online school? What hasn't been working? And figure out how to take the strengths that you've developed because everyone has had to be really flexible and adaptable the past few years and take those strengths and put it into the new school year by 
growing on them and then looking and and being able to be really honest about what hasn't been working and working with coaches and tutors and parents and peers to figure out new solutions. If there's, um, I'm thinking personally for myself, I'm, I would probably put myself in the middle of the spectrum. I'm, I'm organized, but I'm not like one of those super, I have colleagues and friends who are very organized. Um, just kind of thinking across the, the, this organizational spectrum, what would you advise? Like, what would be the most helpful tip to give someone who's just starting and the, the, just the word organization is like, oh my gosh, I, it's, it's so daunting. What Google calendar, what, you know, what would be that one critical piece just to get them started? Um, what would you say for, for that student? Um, I think for me, one of the most important things is to have a like a good physical study space where you can or an office space or a desk that is organized and clutter free where you can have as little distractions as possible and um, and a planner where you can say what are your objectives for the day, how long each, is each task going to take, and then how to go about it. But I think like I would try to make a specific room area for in case of a student, I would set a specific room um, in the house or a dedicated study space for the student where the room can have everything that the student might need from calculators, chargers. And ideally, these would be different from the bedroom. And it would be very important that is free of clutter as possible and um, and that they that the student sees this space as just for studying only. Um, I think also, you know, the students need technology to complete their lessons, but it's very easy to move um, in these tools from being productive to something being distracting. So I think it's a very good idea to set limits about what devices should be used in study area. Like computers are necessary, but it would be a good idea to leave their phone in a different room while they were working. And also um, screen times you know, can be very distracting. So I would, um, I would schedule some time in their, you know, in a calendar where you can have some time to, to relax and, um, but, but just keep the distractions to a minimum as you're trying to get organized and have a very clear plan of what you need to do for a second, third. Yeah, there's so much research that shows that having a dedicated space for certain activities cues your brain to get ready for that activity. So walking into a dedicated studying space, even if it's just a corner of a room, will send signals that it's time to focus and do your work, which can be helpful. And I think if you're starting really just from the ground, no experience, no organization, for me, the, the simplest starting point is just a really good to-do list. And even if on the to-do list, it's create a calendar, figure out homework plan, just being able to keep track of all of that in one space is a great place to start. I love those ideas. I reminded during the pandemic um, when my children, I mean, they're, as I mentioned, they're a little bit younger, um, how much the space was stressed by the school and um, all the administrators, the counselors, the teachers uh, really made a point for my, my son at the time had just started kindergarten to say that even for students as young as kindergarten, that dedicated space um, is so important and, and it goes all the way through. I think, I just think about like, again, speaking as an adult, but hopefully um, that's true for others too, is that when you go into a library, right? That kind of, oh, I'm in a place to study and it's a clean table or, um, yeah. So kind of just the mindset and uh, I'm sure there's probably um, biological functioning too or neurological <laughs> triggers too uh, that's telling us that it's time to study, it's time to focus. Um, and certainly the device issue um, as well. I, again, I'm just drawing from other experts and or just things I've heard, um, the kind of the location of where to have the device. So if you're doing homework in that homework corner, um, um, 
device that could be distracting should be placed somewhere else. There is a place to, you know, use this device for this here, and there's a place to use that device, you know, so kind of um, setting parameters for device use could be um, very helpful as well. Yeah, these are all such great um, tips um, for students to just get organized, uh, get the day going, manage um, all the uh, the different things that they have to, to go through during um, their average date. So any other thoughts about um, other, you know, kind of executive functioning, the, the time management, the organizational skills, any other executive functioning areas that you think would be really helpful for students to um, to have that really successful start and, and how they could main, um, maintain that kind of the maintenance throughout the um, semester as well? Yeah, I think time management is really, really key. And really, in order to manage your time correctly, it's a very good idea to first see how much time you actually have during the day. Um, a lot of students have um, some time in their day, like communications time or connections time or passing time. You know, it says different things on their schedule where there are really blocks of time that you could be using to get ahead on work or to see a teacher. So what I like to do with a student is first look at their at their calendar, see if they have any free periods, and then schedule out the day and see where are those pockets of time. Um, so I like to see a picture of all their activities for the day, including sports and transportation times, and then see their pockets of time in a different color on a Google calendar so that they can see where they can fit in their work into those specific time pockets. Um, next, when we would do the weekly calendar and we'd see what needs to be done each day, we figure out what amount of time will be necessary to complete each task. And how does a student figure out how long math homework is going to take? So if you have a math sheet that needs to be completed for homework, you can time yourself doing one problem, uh, like a, you know, a problem from like the middle of the page or something. And then you say, OK, so that this problem took me 10 minutes and I see that I have to do five problems. So you basically multiply the time that it took you to do one problem by how many, however many problems are on the sheet. And that can give you a rough idea of how long that's going to take you. So when we work on the calendar for the day, we say, OK, so math homework is going to take me 10 minutes. French homework is going to take me 40 minutes. Uh, writing an essay is going to take me an hour and a half. And um, and I think it's really important to get like a total estimate of how much time it's going to take you throughout the day and then see where you can fit that time during the rest of the day with the other extracurricular activities that, that you have so that you know when to start and um, and you know that it is possible to fit that all into the pocket of time that you have if you're if you keep yourself accountable for the time that you're spending. Um, I think it's also really important to avoid distractions while you're working to complete a specific task. So I usually like the students to have an analog clock next to them so that they're watching to see if they're on pace to complete their work on the time that they think it they need to complete them. So for example, if you have a math sheet with 10 problems that will like you, likely take you 40 minutes to complete, I like students to see um, when it's the halfway point. So after 20 minutes, I like them to see if they're really in the middle of the, of the worksheet or not. And if they're not in the middle of the worksheet, then you know, are they miscalculating the time that each problem has taken or did they start texting with a friend or did did they get distracted and open YouTube or did they have to go to the kitchen and get a water bottle? So I think it's important for the student to learn what are those distractors, um, you know, that they're called time robbers by, by some people and say, you know, this is a time robber and I need to make sure that whenever I get down to study, I have my water bottle, I have all my necessary materials, et cetera, so that they're not distracted as they're trying to do work and that they keep themselves accountable by seeing exactly how much time each task is actually taking them. Those are some great tips. 
I'm actually gonna gonna think about using some of those myself, I think. <laughs> and and one area just starting at the beginning of the year where I've seen people not set themselves up for the most success possible is just with being physically organized. I can't tell you how many students I've worked with in schools that have been missing assignments, missing homework, and I look in their backpack and it's just loose papers everywhere and they physically can't find it so they don't remember to do it. So with physical things, making sure you have the textbooks you need for the day, buying notebooks and labeling them clearly at the beginning of the year. And now with everything online, it can be easy to just open a new document, save it, move on, but really setting up folders on your computer or Google Drive, having your notes, having an assignment section, links to online textbooks, really just makes it easier for you to get things done and saves you time in the long run. Yeah, I think that the physical, the the paper management is really, really important. What I like to do, I have with my child that's um, that's starting high school, and I understand the importance of being organized, um, you know, as you start high school so that you can manage, you know, your academic work with everything else. So he tried to have a binder in middle school and it just did not work. He did not want to be opening those rings on the binder. So the binder was kind of like an explosion of paper everywhere. So this year we decided, okay, like, self-assessment, we realized that this strategy did not work, even though that the school told you to bring a binder, it just did not work. So how about we do a notebook for each of of each color for every class? So all the core classes have a different color of, um, of a notebook and a different color holder. And the most important thing that we're doing this year is that we also have a storage binder. So um, the storage binder basically contains all your work. So that's like a three inch um, binder that lives in that study room. And so each core class has that storage binder where um, at the end of the day, when he doesn't need that paper in that folder anymore, he puts it in the storage binder. So it has your syllabus and all of the graded work and all of the math packets and the midterms, I mean, the or the, you know, the test so that when it's time to study for a midterm or it's time to study for a final, they can easily go and access um, all those materials in one storage binder for the year. And what I like to do is I like to put a divider between quarters. So, you know, first, you know, at the, at the bottom of the binder, we put everything from the first quarter, then we put a divider and then we put everything from the second quarter. So they know about the midterm, they know, you know, where they, where they can go to find all of the work together. So, um, so every day my son to school takes the different colored notebooks and the different colored folders that match the notebook. And that folder has an inbox and an outbox. So inbox is whatever, whatever they need to um, bring home and outbox is whatever they need to turn in. And then everything else just lives in the, in the storage folder so that they're not having a heavy backpack full of papers that they can't manage. I really like that. Um, and I think I am, and again, sometimes I speak from a personal experience rather than my students' experience. Um, but just for, and sometimes I find it, it's challenging, right? Just there's so many things going on. But if there's just one step where I can either have a physical folder, um, Lorenzo, as you mentioned, um, to just, okay, this is math. I'm going to put all my math in my math red, no, red folder or whatever it may be, or the storage binder, or on my computer, I have, you know, my algebra class and that's everything that just just put it in there or my google drive so everything has a place to live and that if you can just i find that for myself if i can just do that it keeps things organized and every week you can go through and kind of you can let things maybe 
I, I don't know if it's advisable, but like maybe a couple of days, of, you know, like, but at, at least once a week, I would imagine to kind of just go through a pile and then just file everything away to a space. Um, I know the super organized may have um, file within a file. I've seen email folders where it's, you know, this and then this and then the subfolders. But if you can't get to the subfolders, just get to a folder. Um, and it reminds me too of um, just thinking about um, email folders that students get a lot of emails. I, I work with seniors um, who are in the application process and they get so many emails um, at them from school, from the world, um, because they're, you know, they're, they should be at a point where they should be handling their own communication, not parents responding to email. And then on top of that, colleges, you know, are sending them dozens of emails per day, and that gets really overwhelming. Um, and sometimes the communication could be really, really key because someone will say, oh, well, I emailed you, you should have read it and you should have gotten it. So any advice on just kind of the topic of like emails and how do you keep that organized, um, especially for the older students who are really handling their own communication, younger students, parents, they might still be you know, kind of the email, you know, the, the e-communicator for them. Um, but for older students who need to, you know, understand that there's an email from an English teacher um, asking them to do something or a college who, you know, they need to respond to that email. So any thoughts, suggestions on, on that level? Yeah, I like to include, um, for example, the colleges that, that a student is interested in, I would put that as, as a different chart in terms of how to manage the application process. Um, some of the time, you know, um, admissions officers like to see that you have been expressing interest. So um, I think those communications should be in the chart. Like, for example, like this person um, emailed me and I, and I emailed them back. And the plan is to email them in three weeks just to check in or something. And then um, so that and then to set an alarm in a calendar so that they can initiate that communication when when needed. So so that they can be first have folders um, in their email box where they can maybe like by college or something and then set themselves up alarm so that they can initiate communication with the college that they're really interested in as well so that they can um, email the admissions director or, or, or the person that's handling their, you know, the applications from their state. I'm really glad that you brought up this email topic because that is something that's so hard, even not as a student, we get so many emails. And when you have, you know, 3000 unread emails in your inbox, things are going to slip through the cracks. It's just impossible to catch everything. So I am, I am a big lover of folders and subfolders if, if that's something you can do. And I think what's really helpful for me and for, for students that I've worked with is making it so that as soon as you see an email, you know, either do I need to respond to this? Can I ignore this? Should I mark it as spam? So I stop getting emails from this place because sometimes that can really clog up your inbox. And then is it something I can respond to right now? If so, write that response and then put it in whatever folder it belongs in. Do I need to address this later? Mark it as unread, know that you'll come back to it. And then that way your inbox will only have, you know, a few unread at a time and you know these are things I need to address versus an overwhelming amount of emails that you can't possibly sort through. Um, from emails um, to another um, topic that I think um, 
quite important as well. And I know both of you guys have expertise and um, a lot to say about this. Um, what about sleep? I, I'm thinking that, you know, um, there's just so much going on uh, in their day that I work. Again, my population is primarily um, a high school population. They have sports, they have activities, they're uh, doing robotics, and that takes until nine o'clock, and they have to do homework, and they have to eat. So where does sleep fit into kind of this rhythm, um, and how could sleep help students to have a successful school year? Um, I think first, the most important thing to realize is to to try to see how many hours of sleep your body really, really needs, because usually students think that with six hours of sleep, they're going to be fine or with five hours of sleep, it's more than enough. I think it's really important to actually learn that you need about seven to eight hours of sleep in order to function well. I think also sleep is really important for your mental health. Um, you know, students are going to be really stressed during this time. And I think sleep is, is, is of particular importance. I think when you structure your daily calendar, you have to put in a time where you're going to disconnect from all technology and just go to bed. Maybe read for 20 minutes or something, just a physical book and go to bed. But it's really important not to have any electronics in the bedroom and to set a time where you're going to go to bed every night that cannot be past a certain time so that you do get the, the necessary time um, that you need to sleep. Sleep is one of the main things that can improve mental health and can improve executive functioning, your working memory. So it's really, really important that 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 people pay attention to how many hours of sleep they're getting a night and how many hours they should be getting every night. Yeah, absolutely. Sleep hygiene, I think, is actually one of my favorite things to talk about, especially with high schoolers when there is so much going on. And a lot of them don't realize they do need actually like eight to nine hours of sleep as teenagers and, and school and schedules make it almost impossible. But thinking about priorities for any student, you, you really can't be successful if you're not sleeping enough. Your brain isn't functioning at its full capacity. Things are way more overwhelming. You're tired. You're going to feel more hungry at certain times. It, it impacts every area of your life. So sleep hygiene is so important. And, and like it was mentioned earlier, that blue light in bed is something that really makes it challenging for people, whether it's, I need to do this homework assignment and then I'll fall asleep right after. So I have my laptop in bed or scrolling on social media, FaceTiming, it wires your brain to stay awake. And so even if you are able to fall asleep, it's not necessarily as deep a sleep as it could be at the beginning of the night, which is really important. So things like, no blue light an hour before bed. If it's unavoidable to be on a computer, then downloading an app that reduces the blue light and working on that more of a harm reduction sleep hygiene approach. And also things like finding a routine and sticking to it, having the same bedtime every night and also the same wake up time or within an hour or two can make a huge difference for people. I could definitely um, say, yeah, for, for person, <laughs> speaking from personal experience again, that sometimes I always think like, oh, if I can just push through and do a little bit more late at night, but those hours are actually not as productive and the quality of work is pretty <laughs> not great. So it's much better actually to have my brain rest and feel rested um, and to, to be fresh. So um, I, I'm sure teenagers are thinking like, oh, if I just, you know, have that extra, you know, two hours or whatever, if I worked and I know they're busy. I, I, I know it's challenging. I, 
I do work with them and I see how late they stay up because they have exams and activities and college essays to write and all that. So it's definitely very challenging. So um, as much as possible, kind of um, Nikki, what you're saying, maybe even just using technology to help technology, right? So uh, blue light reduction or developing that schedule where, you know, just making a commitment to say, hey, I'm going to turn off the light by 11 or 1130 or whenever so that I can get my X number of hours sleep that I need to, to function well. So, um, yeah, exactly. And also all of these executive functioning skills that we've been talking about to set the schedule, to know how long things will take actually will help with the sleep hygiene, which in turn will help you be more successful the next day. So it's really this cycle where you can keep setting yourself up for success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another topic that I know we, um, we've been thinking about too, is, um, you know, we've, I've talked about these um, organizational time management, but executive functioning also includes um, quote unquote softer skills, um, such as self-advocacy, um, you know, uh, emotional regulation, um, Lorenzo mentioned at the beginning. So any thoughts on that, you know, kind of, even just self-advocacy, for example, how can student self-advocate for themselves and why would that lead to a successful school year? Um, I think for, I mean, having been a teacher, I really remember children, you know, students that come into my room to ask questions. I think, um, I think teachers really enjoy establishing relationship with students. And um, if you go in and ask interesting questions and show them that you have an interesting class, um, I think it really you know, it keeps, it keeps you in their, in their mind. Um, my son um, took, you know, an AP econ class in junior year. And then I saw his teacher like a couple of days ago, and he still remember him just because of the questions that he was asking when he went to office hours. So um, I think it's really important also for, for students to take that control in the communication with teachers and to be very respectful with them, uh, very polite and to advocate for themselves um, so that they can, really get what they need um, and that they can know that this is a strategy that they can also use in college and beyond of how to communicate with people to try to get um, what they need from, from the teacher. So if they don't understand a question or something, be very polite in your email, tell them, you know, I've been working on this problem. I really don't understand. Is there any way that we can go over it office, office hours and, you know, thank them for their time. And I think when a, when a teacher receives an email like this, they're much more likely to help the student than, than when they receive an email that is not polite saying like, hey, I can't understand the question, you know, not even like a thank you, nothing. So I think it's important for them to advocate for themselves and to advocate in a way that the teacher, that it will make them, it would make it more likely for the teachers to want to help them. Yeah, getting getting a good relationship with a teacher at the beginning of the school year is something that is going to be really helpful throughout the year and something that you can draw on if something comes up and you need to extend a deadline and you're a student who's been in communication with the teacher, going to office hours, being really respectful, grateful when they go out of their way. If you send them a really polite email, they'll, they'll probably be more likely to work with you. And part of that is, is the ask, right? That self-advocacy of, I need something, I need to ask for it, which can be really hard. So sometimes just drafting an email, sitting on it for a bit, or asking someone else for advice is a really good beginning step in building those self-advocacy skills. Yeah. yeah, and it's also, it's also important to note that um, a lot of these teachers in high school are going to be teachers that you want to approach later to write a letter or recommendation. Mm-hmm. So if you if the teacher doesn't know you, um, it's going to be a much less effective letter of recommendation than if you have established a relationship with a teacher and the teacher 
has a lot to say about your, you know, your participation in class and how interested you are in the subject. So I think that's going to be a stronger letter down the road. So um, it's really important to build even as a freshman, because you never know those teachers that you have for math, you might have again in junior year or in senior year. So it's important to be to be self at, you know, to advocate for yourself with the teachers and to also build those strong relationships, even from freshman year, because you will likely have those teachers again. And then you might ask them for letters of recommendation in junior year. And I think that's something um, I'm just thinking of my own children who are younger that you can, as parents, help them to build from the very beginning. Um, some I know that some kids are probably more just naturally inclined, you know, and others are um you know, they need to learn and be and have that model for them. And that's all of us, you know, um, I'm learning all the time from, I actually learned so much from reading other people's email, my colleagues email, I'm like, oh, I really like how, you know, he or she phrased it that way. Um, I, I want to adopt that kind of language. So as parents, um, if you're, you know, for our parent listeners, you can model a little bit that for, for the younger students so that um, my son, for example, he um, unfortunately he became a little nearsighted over the pandemic and he got put in the back of the classroom um, where he, you can't see the board. And I talked with the teacher when I went to the classroom, but um, we, I just talked with the teacher briefly yesterday and she said, oh, what well, you know, he self-advocated for himself that he said he couldn't see in the back. And so he was able to move up. So even just little things like that, when they're younger, I can't see the board um, or I'm sorry, I don't understand the, you know, the instruction for this particular assignment. My daughter came home the other day and said, I think there's an English book that I need to get. I'm not sure. She's in fifth grade. And I said, and she said, well, can you email my English teacher? And I said, well, I could, but, you know, why don't you check first for your list? And if you have a question, I'll help you draft an email to your teacher asking if, you know, whether or not you should be getting that book. So I think when kids are younger, as parents, we could help them, to, you know, give them some language of how do you say to a teacher if you can't see in the back of the room, or how do you ask to clarify a question that you don't understand, or something that you are asked to do, but you, you don't know if you should be doing, so that by the time they get to high school, hopefully, um, it's not so new, right? Um, but even for high school students, ninth and 10th graders, there are plenty of opportunities to practice all of us need practice and get better of writing uh, those email and I will say that working with the high school population um, the tone of the email matters right you get that uh, Lawrence you mentioned like hey I need help versus hi miss you know uh, miss Chu I, I'm wondering if I could ask a question just that slight tweak in tone could really um, make the other you know the person on the other end uh, much more open to helping and dressing so all those little things matter um, and so for younger students um, maybe parents can help them along a little bit but also giving them um, giving them the opportunities along the way to be more independent so that by the time when you're in high school and interacting with teachers uh, who eventually write your college recommendations, and it's not just high school too, right? In college, you have to deal with professors. In workplaces, you have to deal with clients, colleagues, bosses. Um, so those are just really important skills to build up from the very beginning. I agree. It was it was actually interesting. My um, the math teacher in my son's um, class showed on the board two different emails that she had received. One of them saying, "I'm having trouble with question nine, Period. And the other email saying, "Hi, Mrs. Chu. Um, this is Alex. I hope you're having a great weekend. I was wondering if I could see you for extra help because I'm having problems uh, with this with this math homework. Uh, please let me know when I can go see you. Um, have a good night." You know, so he and then the teacher said, wait, which students do you think I helped? 
<laughs> so everybody was able to see the difference in communication and the teacher expressing willingness to help one versus the other because of the communication style of the student. So I think it's really important um, skill to develop, even just starting like hi um, to the teacher. And I hope you're doing well. That already sets the tone for whatever you're going to ask to always like try to include that phrase. <laughs> And always including a thank you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, very important. Yes, thank you mm -hmm. so much. I really appreciate it. I, I I cannot say enough how a thank you can go such a long way. Um, all of us are you know want to know that we are appreciated for helping. So teachers definitely they work very very hard long nights and weekends. So um, appreciating them, you know, saying like mm -hmm. I know you're working hard. I appreciate so much your you your class the other day. I really enjoy what you taught us. Just a little setup can go a long way. Um, I think you know in yeah. terms of um, eventually delivering that ask, as you mentioned, Nikki, of asking for help. Yeah, that that positive reinforcement is one of the most powerful tools any of us have in any relationships. And when you give that reinforcement in the way of saying throughout the year, oh, I really enjoyed class today. Oh, thank you so much. That was an interesting lesson that really builds up in your favor and makes that that ask much easier. Any final thoughts as we kind of wrap up our episode today? Any thoughts from, you know, like if you've that one kind of lasting uh, piece of advice or helpful tool that you want to leave um, both students and parents with? Um, I think time management. I think, you know, students have a lot more time than they realize. If they use it effectively, they can really use it to propel themselves forward. Um, I think time management is really, really key. So, you know, make a picture of your day and see where are those pockets of time that you could be using. I think with with the time management, also making sure to build in time for self-care and for fun activities or else it can be really easy to get burnt out and things are much harder. So whether that's going to the movies with a friend or taking a bubble bath, going for a walk, cooking a nice dinner, anything that you find grounding or relaxing, make sure you have that scheduled in throughout the week, because sometimes those are the first things that we start skipping when we fall behind. Um, for me, it's that kind of taking a walk <laughs> just in the neighborhood, being outdoors and look at the green trees. Um, from my perspective, I think it's just that one step. Sometimes I feel like there are just so many tasks, um, even that to-do list seems overwhelming, but it is that first step of just starting it, um, a to-do list. I have a little sticky on my um, e-sticky on my desktop, or um, as Lawrence had mentioned, just having um you know, a folder for each class. So one step at a time, putting something on a Google calendar um, and practicing. I don't think that's a one-time thing. Oh, you know, if I did it this week and it's going to be perfect, but it's something that's um, that needs to be practiced. Habits take time to build. And so um, one step at a time, get good at something, become comfortable, become confident, and then building on those skills. Um, so executive functioning, I remember, um, I think from Lorenza from a, a prior conversation that it's uh, everybody can, it's teachable and it's learnable. It's not something that we're born with, um, you know, all of us need to work on it and all of us need to practice. So that's an encouragement for our listeners um, that, you know, it's it's definitely, we all need to work on it and we can all get better at it. So, um, but thank you so much, Lorenza and Nikki for sharing all of your wisdom and expertise. And I love the practical tools because I'm always like, what should I do? Yes, I need to be organized, but you give me some hints on how to get organized. So thank you um, to our listener for tuning in to Just Admit It, Catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our Ivy Wise Knowledge 
uh, days for additional help with navigating this back to school season. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for additional college prep resources. And stay tuned for our next episode in which we will discuss the role that letters of recommendation, which we just started talking about, um, play in the competitive college admissions process. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.